Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. Jordan Stevenson is a Port Hope businessman. He is also an advocate for the homeless and affordable housing. Recently, an old city transit bus from Windsor arrived at his office on Hamilton Road. He is transforming the bus into a mobile warming center. He has named the project the Buddy Bus, after his constant companion, a rescued dog. On today's show, Jordan Stevenson is going to talk about this project and what he hopes to achieve. I'm so pleased to have with me today Jordan Stevenson, CEO of Buildex in Port Hope. Welcome to Consider This Northumberland. Thanks for having me. You recently had a bus delivered to your business on Hamilton Road in Port Hope. What was that all about? Yeah, so we're um, we're calling it the Buddy Bus. It's uh, it's a project to basically make a mobile warming room for for the homeless. Um, what we're looking at uh, at doing is is basically uh, making um, an accessible space for um, individuals that are experiencing homelessness, but uh, beyond that as well, uh, providing outreach services during the day um, in conjunction with community partners um, and, and utilizing the bus as an outreach office. That sounds fascinating. How much work has to be done to get the bus ready? Quite a bit. Quite a bit. So it's uh, it it was fresh out of service in December um, from Windsor Transit. Um, right now the guys are um, basically gutting it and redoing everything um, uh, from the top down on the interior um, to make sure that it's suitable um, for for the project that we're undertaking. How old is the bus? It is a two thousand four. Wow. Now, are are you able to do all the work on your own, or I think you just quickly mentioned you have some help? Who are those those people that are helping you? Yeah, so uh, as a construction company, we do have a lot of expertise uh, in house, um, especially when doing modular building like we do. Um, in terms of the the mechanical components, uh, we're we're reaching out to other community partners to to assist on that um, mechanics, uh, electrical, HVAC, things like that. When you talk about it being a, a mobile warming room and an outreach center and a safe space, uh, I think you're, I, I read that it was going to be a place where 10 people could sleep in pods. Yeah. So the original goal was, was 10 sleeping pods. Um, this was prior to us getting delivery. Um, the, the scale and the scope of the project as it's expanded to include more community partners, we've tried to adapt more, um, basically more, um, uses into the into the uh, the bus itself so as part of that we've actually scaled down the number of sleeping pods to six um, and with that we're able to include a, a washroom a kitchenette um, uh, and a full-size outreach office that can be used for uh, addictions counseling mental health supports uh, nursing things like that 
That's fascinating. Why was that such an important aspect of this project to ha- offer these additional services rather than just say a place to get in from out of the cold and have a cup of coffee or get a quick nap? Yeah, for sure. So part of this was uh, wanting to involve uh, the variety of services that encompass um, social services in Northumberland County, um, because there's there's a big disconnect um, between a lot of the agencies, be them government, uh, be them you know private organizations, uh, nonprofits, things like that. So what we wanted to do was kind of center them all into a mobile outreach setting. Um, and as the the project kind of evolved and and the the idea or the concept evolved internally. Uh, we wanted to incorporate all these various services and and uh, agencies and, and things like that, uh, which has led us to this multi-use um, unit, essentially. So it, it's providing the most amount of services in the same space. Now, I, I've read that you were in talks with Northumberland Hills Hospital. How's that going? Where are they on this Good. project? Good. So uh, we're we're developing a partnership. Um, we don't have anything formal to announce yet as we as we move through this. Um, but it is uh, something that's very promising. Um, I, I can say that uh, currently they do utilize the the physical warming room that we have at uh, at our, our facility, um, like the uh, the permanent one uh, in our office. Um, now that's just temporary until we can get this mobile uh, bus unit going. Uh, but they do refer uh, people here, um, so there is an existing relationship. And now it's just about formalizing the partnership um, and, and ensuring that uh, you know it's it's sustainable. Are there any takers beyond the hospital? Yeah, so we are working with the uh, Greenwood Coalition. Um, we're we're working with other um, agencies, uh, and basically, uh, it's as much um, about us reaching out to these agencies and trying to invite them in and seeing how they can utilize the space. Um, we've been talking to uh, addictions counselors. Um, we've been talking to uh, other, even the fire department. Um, uh, a, a use case that we've been pitching for this as well is, um, for example, uh, emergency response in the terms of uh, uh, housing. So we had the Wellington Street fire a few years ago, uh, where a number of apartments were gone, you know, in the blink of an eye. Um, so being able to deploy an asset like this and then utilize that um, for even emergency uh, temporary support is is something that uh, we can foresee as well. So uh, we're, we're trying to build on these relationships and, and make it available to as many agencies as possible. Now, do you envision this being a service that offered in Port Hope or is this something that's countywide? How do you how do you see that? Yeah, so we're we're focusing right now on Port Hope, um, but the broader scope is the county for sure. Um, and, and the reason being is social services are generally administered on a county level, um, but the the need that we're trying to address right now is is focused in Port Hope, but it's it's going to be available countywide. Why is this a good solution to the problem of homeless people sleeping in the rough? Um, it's uh, it's honestly it's not it, it's it's not a good solution. Um, is it the best of what we have? Absolutely. Um, in, in my opinion, uh, and that's simply because there's, there's a dearth of, of services, uh, that are focused on the long term, whereas this is, uh, you know, uh, not necessarily a bandaid, uh, it's not uh, the term I like to use, but it, it's a short term solution as part of the broad spectrum of housing. And we, when we say spectrum of housing, we mean emergency shelter, moving to transitional housing, then moving to permanent shelter. Um, so on this, this is, you know, at the very beginning, the emergency side. 
but it should be a part of a broader system that incorporates uh, getting people to long-term sustainable housing. Um, the reason we're doing the the mobile side of things is to get around a, a number of, of zoning bylaws, things like that, and and literally drive around red tape as it uh, as it kind of shows up. Can you elaborate upon that? What red tape are you facing, and and what barriers is it creating for you? Yeah, so a lot of a lot of the red tape uh, specifically is is a focus around zoning. Um, so municipalities uh, specifically, you know, Port Hope and Coburg, they have zoning um, bylaws in place to ensure that uh, community standards and and the overall community development plan is is adhered to. And in the in the grand scheme of things, that's great. It it prevents people from having junkyards in their in their in their neighborhood or putting up you know office buildings next to a, a residential unit. But what we're finding is that it's is severely limiting and and hurting individuals that are vulnerable um, in the community. And uh, we're finding that uh, it, it's just having a a very negative consequence and likely unintended um, but to these folks. So. The red tape that we're facing, for example, in terms of the the warming room that we have uh, on Hamilton Road, is um, we're not zoned for for occupation. So even having the the overnight warming room is is technically in contravention of the bylaw um, for for zoning. Now, in my opinion, the spirit of the law is to ensure character of, of the community, and so a technicality like that shouldn't necessarily prevent it. Does, um, and so what we're doing is is with this mobile you know bus unit. We're we're bypassing all the the uh, the standards related to having a physical or permanent building, um, and and making it outside of the jurisdiction of the town essentially. Are there not other services offered in Northumberland County? I mean, there is transition house. There are all kinds of warming rooms we see municipalities offering. Why is it necessary for you to do this? You're absolutely right. It shouldn't be. <laughs> and this has been conversations going back a few months um, internally and, and with external stakeholders. There's currently one warming room in Northumberland County, and it's uh, administered in Coburg. Um, there was uh, a very strong attempt to get one going in Port Hope um, at the old Ruth Clark Center. It just didn't materialize, unfortunately. Um, but what we're finding uh, on a street level uh, and at, like a frontline level is that there's still a number of community members that are are suffering out on the streets um, and unable to or, um, you know, for various reasons, access the services that are provided. Um, and it's just unfortunate and it shouldn't uh, it shouldn't be a lack of, of services uh, that prevents these people from from, you know, attainable housing. Um, so it It's kind of been. Um, a passion project more or less to be able to to fill these gaps it's it's been stressful because it, it there has been quite a lot of use uh, which is unfortunate of of the services that we've provided so far uh, i believe the number we're, we're at so far is, is eight individuals helped and housed overnight um ranging from one night to, to two weeks for for a couple individuals um so you know the service is is there uh the, the requirement rather the need for it is there and it's just about uh, making the solution sustainable and, and our solution to that and making it sustainable is the bus how's the bus being financed uh right now it's all through donations um which is which has been good we've had a big outpouring of support uh we're also going to be approaching the the county and the municipalities for uh, uh grants so we've opened up a nonprofit arm of the business called uh, the buildx community response team 
And that's going to be responsible for administering uh, essentially our, our frontline nonprofit work. So right now you're not a registered charity. No. So we've just registered the nonprofit arm and there's, there's quite a bit that has to go into registering a charity. Um, and we're really looking at um, being on the, on the ball about transparency as well um, and seeing so people can see where their donations are going. Well, that was going to be my next question is how are you handling donations and how is that transparency working? Obviously people who are donating money want to make sure that it's going where they want it to go. So how's that work? Yeah. So right now what we're doing is uh, we're looking at launching a separate website for the community response team that outlines where each dollar goes as part of the, as part of the nonprofit. And uh, a big thing of that is, is transparency, obviously. And uh, we want people to know that their money is being, being funneled into Frontline, frontline work, um, you know, at a, at a, a larger ratio than normal. Um, you have a typical charity. It's generally around, you know, 30% is actually going to frontline services and the rest is administration and fundraising. Whereas we're trying to um, uh, make that ratio as strong as possible uh, and put every dollar we can into, uh, into frontline work. Um, and the bus is, is the first example of that. How much have you raised so far? Uh, right now we're at the... We're almost close to seven thousand dollars so far. Um, our our goal is is twenty thousand, um, but uh, it's we're just getting started, so it's it's we're, we're confident. And is that just for the repairs on the bus, the uh, renovations of the bus? Uh, what about administration, gas, that kind of expense? Yeah. So one of our asks, uh, we're actually presenting to council um, Tuesday or tomorrow. Um, and uh, one of our asks is going to be access to the uh, the municipal fuel depot uh, for for uh, diesel is a big cost, obviously, of running. Um, we're going to be leveraging a volunteer network as well for for standard running. And then uh, as we get set up as a as a nonprofit and, and down the road as a charity, um, once we get sustainable funding sources and, and more regular uh, recurring revenue generation, we'll look at um, basically making it more sustainable in, in the operations. Uh, so we're kind of taking it day by day at this point. Do you are you going to be able to finance it though in the short term? I mean, you're talking down the road, but uh, obviously you're working hard to get this up and going because the need is there. What are you going to do in the short term? Yeah, so right now a lot of it is self financing. Um, you know, personally, um, which is has been quite the uh, quite the undertaking, and it's, it's stretched me uh, unfortunately quite thin. Um, but it's it's uh, at the end of the day, you know, something that's that's much needed. Um, I'm not you know, a materialistic person by any means. So it's, uh, it's, it's a short term, you know, pain for a long term gain of the community is, is what I look at it as. This is not the first time you've taken steps to help the homeless. And you've referred a couple of times in our conversation about this warming room that you run in your business. Can you tell us a bit about how that started? Yeah, so it, uh, it started with the the bus shelter um, in Coburg that uh, out of the blue got shut down as people were using it as a warming room before the county run warming room uh, opened. Um, when they shut down that, there was an urgent need for some kind of shelter and it wasn't being provided at any level of government. Uh, so at that point, we we reached out to a number of volunteers and we uh, we offered to open up our, uh, our warming room. And it's a converted um, office space that we recently renovated um, that just wasn't being used. It was just open. Um, and part of that uh, was just the need. So it, it was really a, a very short term, you know, goal we had in mind, um, just to, to provide an urgent, an urgent um, fill of gap or fill of the gap, essentially. 
Um, but what, uh, what we ended up doing was we, we made it more long-term because as we, as we realized that services locally with specifically with the Ruth Clark center, weren't going to be opened up. And, uh, as the, as the people kept using the service and as service providers kept referring people to us, um, we realized that we couldn't just remove that, um, from, from circulation, so to speak. So we, we've kept it open, um, and a big thing with with this as well is it's one thing to see the statistics on homelessness, but once you put faces uh, to those statistics, you know it, it's a whole nother ball game. It, it makes things so much more real, um, and the desire to help just you know uh, increases exponentially. You've alluded to it a couple of times, but you mentioned about zoning and the the warming room. How have you been able to uh, avoid not being shut down? So we've. We've had the fire department in here. Um, we've had various health and safety, um, you know, audits um, to ensure that we are safe uh, and what we're providing is safe. Um, like I said, uh, the hospital has referred people here. Uh, even the police department, uh, the Porto Police Department, has dropped people off of here um, because the service is, you know, offered. Um, and at this point, the only people that haven't been by is the bylaw department. And that's uh, simply because if they were to show up, it would be uh, immediately shut down and I'd be issued a fine more uh, more than likely. Um, and I, I think uh, a lot of it is um, uh, willful ignorance on their part in the sense that um, if they don't show up, they don't have to, to act um, because at the end of the day, it is more or less a technicality. We're not. Um, putting anybody in an unsafe uh, predicament. It's not meant to be a long-term solution. It's just temporary. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, I'm of the mindset that um, a technicality shouldn't prevent these people from from having shelter. Um, and, and that's where, you know, the logic we've been operating on is, is that it's um, more following the spirit of, of the law rather than the letter. How did you become interested in the issue of affordable housing? Uh, it spans uh, years back when I, I started into general contracting. Uh, we did a, a project for uh, a local a local homeowner who had a, um, a four apartment a four apartment building. Um, they had uh, some fire code violations, and we started doing work for them. Um, and it wasn't uh, until we actually started getting in there that we realized um, just the the state of uh, of some of the uh, the or the conditions some people were living in um in the community it was on the outside it looks like a fine building but on the inside it was just more or less squalor and um we actually ended up getting fired from that job because we uh, we tried to uh, issue a change order um because there was just excessive mold beyond what we expected uh that needed to be remediated before we continued work and and they uh they didn't want to pursue that so they just terminated the contract and so uh, we had been provided the, the guys on site had been provided lunch actually by one of the uh, one of the, the the renters um every day it was a three-course lunch and so we felt really bad that she was going to be left it was her apartment that we were working on that she was just going to be left you know high and dry because these people didn't want to spend the extra three thousand dollars um to to make their apartment safe um so we started looking at uh, options uh, to find her some kind of other affordable housing and that's when i realized that the county waiting list for subsidized housing was 10 years uh, for a single unit apartment um, which was insane um so we looked at other options and there was just none and that's kind of what set the ball rolling on the affordable housing front and modular housing how did you go from being a businessman to being an advocate? Um, well, it turns out I sucked at business because all I wanted to do was help people. <laughs> I've been I've been told that a few times. Um, 
but you know it's just it's just the 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 humanity behind it i i mean if not me then it'd be somebody else it, it's just you know it just happened to be me um and i just had been fortunate to be put in a position where I, I have been to be able to to somewhat help um it's been it's been uncomfortable in a lot of times because you know uh obviously you need financial backing to do it and it's been been difficult to try and balance um but it's it's been good in the sense that we've been able to at the very least uh, provide um, temporary shelter to uh, a number of people and start a broader conversation um, as to the issues you know it's it's past the point of being hidden at this uh, at this time um you know it needs to be talked about and it needs to be acted upon it it's not something that can be dealt with down the road at this point it needs to be done now you recently attended the Rural Ontario Municipal Association Conference. Can you tell us about that and why you were there? Yeah, so we wanted to go um, simply because we, we we strongly felt that the the connections that we could uh, we could gain and networking that we could gain um, and the the representation that we had locally, um, we were we were concerned about you know the the representation that the, the county was sending wasn't going to be adequate um, to facilitate the the uh, the search of knowledge and the the networking that was required to kind of help tackle some of these these local social issues and so we uh, we attended that um at um at our cost and uh, it was a, a great event we had uh, the chance to listen to a number of uh, workshops and speakers and and meet a number of people as well um that were extremely beneficial and we we look at or we're looking at passing along that knowledge to council at our delegation tomorrow as well you mentioned we. Who's we? Uh, so me and uh, one of the marketing team, Brittany. Uh, so she uh, she attended with me as well, just to get. Um, you know, sometimes I, I I've been told that I have these very uh, sky high dreams, but I sometimes need uh, uh, another voice to to kind of uh, you know bring me down and be more realistic. So it, it always helps to have that uh, that secondary voice, um, be it one of the guys in the shop or one of the people in the office, to to bring me back down to reality and and provide a sounding board as well. Buildex started out as a standard construction renovation business, mm -hmm. but it seems now that you're into affordable housing is, is what you seem to market yourself as. Mm -hmm. And I'm just trying to understand that transition and what does that mean from a business perspective? How are you finding that as, as a, as a, a business model. Yeah, for sure. So I can kind of walk you through the transition. So my background prior to construction was actually software. So I come from the, the software industry. Um, yeah, kind of kind of a weird uh, weird transition. Um, and and part of that uh, getting into construction um, was you know a, a desire to to fulfill my own needs as as uh, independent and in, in going into business. Um, but getting into that the renovation side the way my mind works is very uh, it's adaptable but it's not the and my my background because it wasn't in construction and renovations i found it very difficult to to run a renovations company you know as relying a lot on the expertise of others um which wasn't ideal at many points um and yes i've, I've come a long way in the number of years that i've been uh, running the business um but it just wasn't sustainable in the sense that renovation work Renovations always change. Renovations are always different uh, and unique, um, and every project is is different. And so, my logic and my background it just didn't didn't mesh in the sense that it wasn't forecastable, wasn't predictable. Um, 
as I was used to. And so that's where the switch to modular housing, uh, it was more assembly line style manufacturing style. And I've started to get back to my roots in the software industry uh, and, and run things, uh, you know, uh, that way, essentially. I'd like to go back and talk a bit more about your advocacy, because I noticed that you offered free rides at New Year's. You mm -hmm. seem to be very community oriented. What is it in your background that inspires you to be so engaged? Um, I mean, my family's been here for a number of generations at this point. Um, I, I strongly believe and I was raised to believe that uh, you help your neighbors no matter what. Um, I was on the fire department for a few years as well before business kind of just got too busy. Um, but I, I've always been community centric and and I think that's just a, a product of, of both upbringing and and the people that we have in this community you know I, I think Port Hope especially is is a community of of giving and, and charitable people and and that's just kind of rubbed off in, in a sense so who is Jordan tell us a little bit about yourself what do you want to know <laughs> well let's let let's that's an open-ended question it is and and I was going to sort of like give you an opportunity to sort of start where you want to start and go where you want to go so how about that you start telling me about yourself and we'll go from there oh that's a that's a that's a hard question um I I I don't even know where to begin um well, you said you're from Port Hope originally, so yeah. So I'm part of the Stevenson family. Uh, a lot of Stevensons around. Um, you know, most people know my grandmother or my grandfather, uh, Malcolm and Carol. Um, that's kind of who raised me. Um, and then my mother, Leanne. She's uh, she's local. Um, works in massage therapy. Um, and yeah, my my kind of upbringing revolved around just hanging out with my grandpa all the time and just going around town and and uh, you know puttering around and then uh, went to went to TCS um, for for eight years um, which was which was great um, learned a lot and that's where uh, another part of the the community service aspect um, was was ingrained for sure um, but yeah that's uh it's kind of where it uh, where it happened and didn't go to didn't go to any post-secondary school no college or university anything like that and uh, it just kind of uh, just kind of jumped right in. Do you have any family? Are you married? Do you have kids? Uh, no, no, no. Don't have time for that, unfortunately. Do you have any mentors or people who have been inspirational to you to take up what you're doing right now? Uh, yeah. Um, like I mentioned, my my grandfather was one of them. Um, he unfortunately passed away when I was in grade nine. Um, but a lot of what he's, uh, you know, instilled on me is, uh, is, is carried through to my, my later years. Um, the other one on the business aspect is my old boss. Um, he, uh, he instilled a lot of the, you know, the aspects of, uh, of, of business, business, you know, etiquette and things like that and how to, how to execute yeah, business plans and, and things of that nature. Um, but yeah, those, those are the, the kind of two, two big ones, um, you know, on, on my end for sure. How would you describe the community reaction to what you're doing? There's been a, a huge, uh, huge um, outpouring of support uh, for this endeavor, um, and I, I think it's because a lot of people they they really want to help. They just don't know how. Um, and there's there's been um, you know various like I said patchwork uh, patchwork solutions, um, but there's there's really been no um, 
clear, clear solution. And, you know, it's not the fault necessarily of the politicians because there is a lack of solutions, you know, um, on their end as well, or any, anything like that. And I'm not saying what we have is a solution. It's not, but it, it's a step in the right direction. And, and I think that's um, why there's been such a, such support. How would you characterize the political reaction to what you're doing? It's been very positive. I think uh, with the new council that's come in, uh, it's it's very progressive on that front and very in touch with uh, with the reality of the situations in the sense that it can't be just kicked down kicked down uh, the road any further. Um, but yeah, it's it's been it's been very positive. We've had councillors come in, we've had uh, other politicians come in and, and check out the bus project and kind of talk and, and see what it's all about. And um, yeah, we've been we've been fortunate with the response so far. You mentioned you're working with Greenwood Coalition. What's the relationship there? How would you describe it? Yeah, so we're still in the beginning phases of of that uh, relationship. Uh, so far, right now, it's been uh, talking to their outreach uh, support staff and seeing how we can integrate or build this bus and integrate with them on an outreach basis. Um, so essentially, getting their wish list and and seeing you know what they would see as an ideal space to to use as as outreach support. Um, but we're looking at developing that further into a more integrated uh, relationship, uh, and and same with the hospital as well. And other agencies. I have to ask you about your dog, buddy, because he's featured <laughs> prominently in your social media and your, I think in your bus name, I think you had named yeah. the bus after yeah. him. So tell us about buddy. So buddy, buddy was kind of an accident. <laughs> he was, he was a happy accident. So I have, uh, I have two other dogs as well, uh, Stella and Luna, and they're, they're both Huskies. Um, we originally, um, saw Buddy online on a Facebook post and uh, saw that he'd been in the shelter for over a year. Um, so my immediate thought was because the, uh, the Humane Society is just across the street, basically, uh, that we would bring him over um, in a couple days a week just to get him out of the shelter and he can hang out with the guys in the office and in the shop because we have quite a large space here. Um, and just, yeah, just hang out. And uh, we we found out that he... He was listed as a danger to other animals um, and that the uh, apparently had uh, very negative reactions towards any other any other dogs or any other animals in general. Um, so the goal was we were just going to bring him over when my dogs weren't here and uh, and just have him hang out. Um, it was by chance that when I went to see him for the first time that my two dogs were uh, also with me in the truck and um, we got out and they went and saw him through the fence and they were all wagging tails and the, uh, the Humane Society staff said it was very uh, unexpected that he seemed so happy to see them, um, which was which was great. So we we made the leap and we we got them all um, together in, in the same kind of room and they just started playing. And they <laughs> it was just um, this super happy, you know, bunch of a uh, bunch of playful dogs uh, just kind of, you know, living their best life. So. We started fostering him uh, more and more, and then uh, I, I made the decision that, was, that we were going to foster him full time um, and just keep him overnight. And so he stayed with me. And then, as the days turns into weeks, and the weeks turned into months, um, and we realized that you know there was still no interest in him, even after we realized he was he was uh, good with other with other dogs. Um, I, I told my team and it was kind of an, an internal decision that if he wasn't adopted by, by Christmas, that was going to be his Christmas gift that we were going to adopt him. Um, and so that's the decision I made uh, on Christmas. There was no other applications. So, 
pulled the trigger and uh, I adopted him because he is uh, he's just a lovable lovable dog. He deserves a deserves a home for sure. How did the two of you get so close? Well, he uh, he stays with me full time, <laughs> so you know uh, the most I've been away from him is is probably the span or actually Roma the Roma conference it was was the longest I had been away from him since I started uh, fostering him full time, and even then it was uh, it was about eight hours, um, and I, I can only imagine when you're in a shelter for for it was three years that uh, he bounced between three separate shelters, um, when you're in a shelter that long. You know, I can I can imagine the deprivation of, of human interaction and, and social interaction with other animals, you know, plays a huge toll. So it's it's been such a, a unique process seeing him open up over the coming or over the past months and, and seeing how much he's flourished, um, having, you know, a, a suitable and and more uh, stable environment. It's just been it's just been great. So what's next for the buddy bus? So we're uh, we're actively working on on getting it out the door. Um, we we really want to get this thing into the community, um, and part of that is is uh, you know finalizing our fundraising efforts to to get the cash to be able to do so, um, and then the other part is is uh, finalizing our our relationships with other community partners to um, you know uh, get it to the point where it's not just us working on it or running it. Um, but yeah, we're we're very close to that stage. We're we're probably three weeks out. Um, to be able to uh, to actually get it on the street and get people in it. And I understand you're going to council on Tuesday night. Correct. Yeah. So part of that is a, a delegation to to garner support and and give some asks asks on the uh, on the the project itself. What are you asking for? So we're asking for. Um, monetary funding um we're, we're still working the numbers um and working with uh, various uh, stakeholders to see what's a feasible ask on that side and we're also asking uh, on the non-monetary side um, the the use of uh, the diesel tanks at the public works yard as well as water and and, uh, and sewage hookups um, for the bathroom and kitchenette facilities with so much pressure on the budgets uh, for municipalities, how good a chance do you think you have of getting cash? Uh, it's it's still up in the air. Um, I, I I couldn't say either way. Um, but I I think at the end of the day, um, there's there's a lot of there is a lot of pressure on the budgets. Um, but we're we're just getting to a point now where the issue provides more stress on the system as a whole by not tackling it and by not addressing it. Um, that it's it's almost um, a wasted opportunity if, if money isn't put towards it. The the stem of, of so many social issues, um, you know, be it uh, addictions or hospital visits or you know things of that nature, uh, are the result of a lack of suitable housing. Um, and and this is not coming from a personal opinion, but this is is rather uh, data gathered by uh, people that work on the front lines, such as uh, as I mentioned, addictions counselors and 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 hospital staff. Um, who are, are finding that uh, a lot of resources are being tied up and, and money being spent on on issues that could be tackled very early on um, before they get to that point. You know, if, if somebody's trying to get out of the warmth and their, their best solution is an ambulance, well, uh, that's both a costly uh, issue and, and something that should be addressed. Oftentimes, the lower tier municipalities point to the county and say that's their responsibility to deal with homelessness. What if you get that answer when you make your presentation? Uh, you know, at, at the end of the day, the bucks has to stop somewhere. Um, it, it's one thing to have this pointing back and forth, but um, it, 
we have to work together as a unified front. We can't have this fractured response that we typically have. And I, I think that's a big part of our message is, is the unification of, of services and, and having this um, connected uh, and allied response that includes not just government services, but non, uh, non-governmental services and NGOs. Um, because, you know, it, it, it just, again, kicks it down the road even further. And then you get into debates and committees and next thing you know, we're into a new year and nothing's been tackled. So uh, at the end of the day, action needs to happen now and we need to figure out logistics of, you know, who pays for what or, you know, if it's if it's a transfer from the county to the municipality because the municipality's administered a service, so be it. Um, but that's as far as I'm concerned, an administrative technicality, not necessarily something that's uh, necessary for the the action to occur now. Jordan Stevenson, I want to thank you so much for talking to me today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. That was Jordan Stevenson, the person behind the buddy bus. In the interview, Jordan referenced a delegation to Port Hope Council he planned to make on Tuesday. He has postponed the delegation until the next council meeting. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me. And I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life and Northumberland County. So please tune in. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. Or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in. And I hope over the week you will continue to consider this. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening and stay tuned for more from Consider This.